In this particular week, we're talking about the first in this series that's, that's talking about prayer. This is our week of prayer. We're starting it today. We're going to carry it on out until next Sunday. And so I want you to see the card that you got when you walked in that's got a, a few questions on it, a few statements on it. I want you to take that and be ready to write some notes down, and I want you to keep that in your Bible. I want you to keep that in a place. Maybe you take a photo of it. You have it with you as often as possible. We're going to ask you to take your prayer time, your talking with God, your conversation time with God to another level this week. And we're going to ask you to do something that you probably can't sustain in its entirety for the rest of the year. We're going to ask you to get crazy with it this week and take it to the next level. We'll call it kind of like our blitz in prayer week, right? We're going to pray, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you some guidelines to how we as the church want to pray together. And then, of course, you talk with God on whatever he's leading you to do through your time in the word, whatever it might be. But we want to pray together as a church a few things that we're going to talk about today. So are you ready to jump in? All right, look with me in your Bibles in Luke chapter 18. We're going to go to the gospel according to Luke chapter 18. Now, many of us understand what it means to be rich, at least in what we see in other people. And as we turn on the TV or we turn on the radio, we can find preachers telling us that God wants us to be rich. And we need to be very careful about that because many of the preachers that you would listen to or see would be telling you a way to get prosperity in the sense of getting all the wealth you can get now that God wants your best life for you right now. And while that is a true statement, it is not true in the sense in which it is preached most of the time. So we're going to talk about what it means to get into a place where you become richer than you could possibly imagine in this place, on this earth, and for the rest of your life, and not just then, but for the rest of eternity. And so I want to put that in perspective for us, because we know some things that are true, right? If you've ever lost someone that you love, if you've ever come even to a a near-death experience yourself, if you've ever walked into a time where you have been overwhelmed to the point of, of losing hope, things kind of come into crystal clarity, don't they? They come to a place where you really start to see what's important. You're not so much thinking about the 401k. You're not so much thinking about that raise that you did or did not get. You're not so much thinking about the white picket fence that you wanted to put up around the house or about the extra toy that you wanted to have. Things come into crystal clarity for you around the people that are the most important to you. And I want to help us today to understand how we can be rich in a way that supersedes this life. It's not just about now, but it includes right now. And it will carry on for the rest of eternity if you are able to understand what it means to truly be rich and how we can get there. So I want to take us through a text today. But before we get to that text, we have to kind of see the context. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's going to give a parable about what it means to to be rich. He's going to give the starting point of that. Before we understand that, though, we have to see where he's coming from. Look with me in Luke chapter 17. If you look in your own Bibles, we might have someone on the screen. But Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 20. This is going to be kind of a long intro, so be ready for this reading time. Luke 17, verse 20 and on. Now, Again, this is Jesus talking about those who are kind of looking for the end times. When is the kingdom of God going to come here and now? And the people of that day were looking for it in the sense that that, that the Messiah would show up and he would liberate the country. He would do it by force and just jettison the Roman government, that he would take over and that everybody would be into this plentiful place where they imagined they would end up as soon as the Messiah arrives. So this is the context in which he finds himself when he's talking here in chapter 17, verse 20, before we get to our main text for the day. Look with me, verse 20 and on. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, 
nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So he'd make it real clear, make sure we're really clear on this, right? He just said that you wouldn't be able to know when it's coming exactly. So if people say they know when it's going to happen, they're lying. Right? We know it's coming. God has always fulfilled his promises. He's never given us one reason to doubt that. And he will always fulfill them in the future with the ones that he has not yet fulfilled, mainly that the Christ will return. Right? But he says here that the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now this is him talking about the fact that he has to be crucified first. They couldn't even get that through their minds at first. Neither could anybody else in all the history of God's people understand fully what was coming in the crucifixion. They saw it kind of through a window that was hard to see through. They didn't understand exactly what would happen. Everybody was appalled, even his closest friends and disciples, right? So he's trying to explain, you're not even going to understand this part. How could you understand what the coming is going to be? Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Listen, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other one left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I mean, this is a pretty dark picture that Jesus is given, right? He's talking about the end. He's talking about the end of time as we know it on this planet. At the return of Jesus, the judgment will come. And there will be great destruction on the earth. There will be a new heaven, a new earth that we know will come. And he's talking about all the things that will lead up to that. And he's saying, in the end, don't try to go back for your treasure. Don't be thinking that that's what's going to be the thing that you're looking for because you're going to be taken like that. It's going to come without any kind of notice on your part. So be ready is the implication. Right? Be ready for it. You won't know when it's coming, so be ready. And he steps right into this text, verse 1 of chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I'm read that again. He's telling us what the parable's about. Notice, right? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that today you want to speak into our lives. You want to change us in a way that will make us find more joy, in a way that will help us to be people that we never understood that we could be. So would you work in us today? Would you, would you pierce our hearts with the truth of your gospel, of your son Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and that we will be changed forever because of it? Would you work in us and to align us with how you created us to be originally, and that we would look in that way more like Jesus when we leave than when we first came in? For Lord, we ask that for your glory, for your son Jesus' fame, and for our joy, and for the salvation of those around us that do not yet know you. So, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to press on to you the phrase for the day, and I want you to write that down. It's actually already in your notes. If you want to circle it, highlight it, star it, maybe write it down again, whatever you want to do. It's a little bit confusing the first time you hear it, maybe, but I think it might stick in the craw a little bit to help us throughout this week of prayer. So here's what we look at. Look at verse 1, and we'll see where it comes from. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today that I think the word of the Lord is saying to us. I'm putting it in my own vernacular. But here's what it is. Don't give up. Give it up. Don't give up, but give it up. I'm telling you that things are going to get crazy, things are going to get hard, things are going to seem overwhelming, things are going to feel like that you cannot do them as we talk about them today, things are going to seem like that's impossible for you, maybe for somebody else, but not for you, and I'm saying don't give up, and when you start working to pray and seek the Lord this week, and when it gets hard, and when things blow up, and when things get a little bit more difficult than you thought they would be, or when things get uh, more overwhelming because there's too much to do, I'm telling you don't give up, but give it up to the Lord. Run to the Lord and give it up to the Lord. Look here, look at that verse again, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That they ought always to pray. Always. Don't give up. He's saying always pray. He's trying to encourage his disciples, you should always pray and not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit believing. But turn it over to the king. The one who's in charge of everything. The one who's sovereign over everything. Thing. First Peter 4, 7, Peter tells the people he's writing to in the church, he says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He doesn't say be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of, uh, of your getting riches here in this place, getting money, getting treasure, getting all the things you thought you wanted. He says it like this, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. Jesus is saying the same thing. You ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now it is easy to lose heart when we pray. Many of you in this room have prayed to God for God to do something for you or in you or through you, and you feel like he has not answered your prayer. You feel like he has not answered your prayer in the way in which you asked for it. You wish that he would have done it sooner. You wish that he would have done it in a way that was more magnificent. You wish he would have done it in a way that would have brought you more joy. Or maybe that he would have done something to stop you from losing someone or something that you love dearly. Many of us have prayed those prayers. It's often that we feel disappointed because we feel like God doesn't hear us. I hear all the time from people. What do we do when we feel like our prayers aren't making it out of the room? What do we do when we feel like God just has a deaf ear to us? What do we do? And here he answers. 
You ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then he gives this crazy story, right? Let's read it again, verse 2. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. The complete antithesis of God, right? A judge who doesn't fear God because he's not in alignment with God, and he also does not respect man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. This implication is that she's going to him everywhere, maybe while he's being a judge, maybe while he's at home, when she passes by him in the city, she's saying, give me justice. You're the judge. You're supposed to give me justice. Just give me what I'm supposed to have. Give me justice. She's a widow. She doesn't have a husband. The widows in that day would have been those most overlooked in society, those most left to themselves, probably those most destitute of all people. She's just going, give me justice over my adversary, over the one who's come against me. And for a while, we see in verse 4, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Jesus is making sure we understand this is not an image of God, right? Though he neither feared God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He relents because he's tired of her coming to him. He's like, she's never going to give up. She's never going to get through coming to me. So he kind of says, all right, just give her what she wants. Give her the justice. Now, this guy should have already been giving her justice from moment one. That's his job, right? But she keeps coming back over and over and over again, knowing this guy isn't a really just judge. So what's Jesus trying to say to us? He goes on in verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me just make some clear statements for us here. Right? You might want to write these in your notes if it hits a chord with you. God is always just. It's just who he is. God is always just. It's just who he is. He's always just, not because he decides to do the right thing, but because he can only do the right thing. He is always just. And so although we pray and ask for things, they don't always happen in our timing. They always happen in the right timing or in the right way because it's God's way because he is always just. The problem with that is that we think we deserve more than we're due. We pray and we do all the good things. We go to church continually, read our Bibles. We do all the stuff we're supposed to do and we think God will do for us then. But that's not how it works. You see, God does what is right no matter what you do. God does what is right no matter how much you plead, no matter how much, he will do the right thing. So what does he mean to come to him continually in prayer? What kind of effect does our prayer have? Let me put it to you in in this context. Look what it says in verse 6 and 7 again. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? That word elect is a word that we don't often talk about in some circles, but it's here in the scriptures. So what does it mean? The word elect, it means what you think it means. It's not that different than what we would talk about when the time of an election comes, that we elect someone to be in office. It means that we choose for them to be in office. The word means simply that here. Look at the verse again. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect or his chosen? If you are his, or if you might ever be his, it's because he chose to love you even though you were not in love with him. It's because he chose to love you even though you were a sinner. 
even though that means that you missed the mark, that you were created for perfection, and yet God chose to love you anyway. And God has always chosen to love you before the foundation of the earth. He's chosen to love you. He's chosen to love you because he is fully God, fully love, fully can be wrath as well, fully all these things about his nature. He is just, he is righteous, he is holy, he is good, he is, he is wrathful, he is forgiving, he is patient, he is long-suffering, he's all these things because of his nature. And out of the overflow of his love, he has chosen you if you are his. Now, we don't understand who those chosen are. We don't know how we're chosen. We don't know how it works and why he chose us, except out of the abundance of his love. We know that it says here in the scripture that we are the elect if we are his. Now, here's what this means for us. God chose you to be his always, so we can trust and know that he will always choose to give you justice. You understand what I'm saying? Listen to what he says, verse 6 and 7. Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night? Yes, is the answer. Of course he will. If he loves you enough to give you his most precious thing, to pay the price for your sin, for your wrongdoing, to give you his precious son who is holy and righteous, worth more than all of creation, then he will always give you justice because Jesus becomes and is our justice. That we are sinners, we are the ones who go against God, and so therefore we need to be declared good again, yet we are sinners, we are criminals. We've gone against the sovereign work and calling of the Lord. And so how do we get right with him? The only way is for God himself to become a man. And he became a man by sending his son to become one of us, fully God, fully man, in the name of Jesus. And that Jesus walked the earth and lived a life perfectly that we could not live, obeying all the laws, all the rules, and then going to death in our place and drinking down the punishment and the wrath that we deserve, wrath and punishment that would last for all eternity because we have sinned against a holy, eternal God who's greater and more infinite than we could ever imagine. And because of his sending Jesus to die in our place, Jesus then died and then rose again in victory over Satan's sin, death, and hell in our place again so that we might have life with him eternally, so that we could be brought into his family. And if he loves us enough to give us that, then he will love us enough to always be just in his dealings with us. The crazy part is is that we think that we deserve something more than Jesus. We don't. We don't even deserve him. But he he gives him to us anyway. He gives us the Christ, the perfect holy one, worth more than all of creation. And by giving you Jesus, God has changed everything. He's changed everything. Instead of you being eternally bent towards hell and destruction, you're now eternally turned towards love and grace and mercy that emanates from the Father. He will be just to you because he's paid the price in Jesus. And now when he looks at you or looks at me, he sees perfect righteousness because of the perfect righteousness of his Son in which you and I have been clothed. Just like we talked about last week. He's put the robe of righteousness on us in Christ. And if God gave you Jesus, how will he not give you all things? Now, sometimes we ask for things that may not be in the will of the Lord, and we don't understand what that is. We don't understand how to understand that even exactly. So I want to give us some parameters for how we are to pray, to help us to know how to pray and how to spend this week in fervent, abundant, ongoing prayer. Not just for ourselves, but for ourselves as well, but for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of his bride, the church. And specifically this community in which we live. Listen, Luke 12, 32, earlier Luke says this. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you hear that? He doesn't just give us Jesus. He can stop right there. It's plenty. It's enough. It's everything. And instead, he says, I want to give you the kingdom. I want to give you the whole kingdom. I want you to be a part of having the whole kingdom. I want you to have everything. That includes all the people I'm going to bring in through you and in you and around you. I want to give you the kingdom. That's how much I love you. Listen, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Peter says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He may not give us exactly what we want when we ask for it, but it's because he has a master plan. He's not some God that just started all things and took hands off and waits to see what will happen. He's a God who is sovereign and intimately involved, totally transcendent above and all things, powerful more than anyone can imagine, but intimately involved with his creation and his created ones, us. And he's directing all things. The Bible says that that we plan our path, but God puts one foot in front of the other. He's directing all things because he knows what is best, because in the end, he wants what is best for his children. And so while just like my kids can't understand all the reasons why we do what we do, we can't also understand all the time what God wants to do and accomplish. But we trust in him because we know if he would give up Jesus for us, we can trust in what he would do for us. We can trust in his timing. We can trust in his grace. We can trust in his mercy. And so today I'm going to show you a few ways in which you can pray and we can begin to trust in his mercy. But we don't just stop in our trust. That would leave us not to believe the scriptures. Look at verse 1 again. He told them a parable to to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Right? Verse 6 and 7. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Who cry to him day and night? So church, we're going to cry to him day and night for this week. Try, try, to, try to figure out a way in which you can spend more time with the Lord. Maybe you do what we call fasting. Maybe you give up something in your life. Maybe you give up something major like food. And you give it up for a meal or you give it up for a day or you give it up for more than one day. And you give that up so that when the Lord lets you be hungry in that, right? When the hunger hits you, you're reminded of why you're doing it. You're doing it for these following reasons we're about to look at. But it reminds you to pray, to seek out the Lord, to be drawn into a relationship with him. Here we go. Here's some things that you can pray. This week as you do these things. Pray that God would make himself the desire of your heart. Pray that God would make himself the desire of your heart. Maybe you're like, I don't understand what you mean by by being enough for me. I want so many other things and he hasn't given me what I want. Well, the only thing that he actually promises us in this life is that he would give us himself. And that really is enough. Even Jesus in the wilderness is tempted by the enemy. And he's tempted by it to make, just make, make those stones into bread. He says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. That is what I need. That is my nourishment. And Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and they're hungry. And he gives them food. He gives them all this stuff. But then he goes on and tells them, he says, that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You've got to be sustained on me because I'm your true sustenance that will carry you through all eternity. This food will last today or for a few hours, but I will carry you through all eternity. Pray and ask God to make himself the desire of your heart. And when you struggle with that prayer because it becomes in conflict with things that you want, that you, you find out that you want more than God, don't give up. Give those things up to the Lord. Give them up. Say, Lord, no, 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 I really want you more than that. Take that desire from me if it's something I want more than you. 
Change my heart. Give me more of you. Secondly, pray that God, not you, would be made much of. Pray that God, not you, would be made much of. That's the word that we use in the scripture and that we use in the Christian ease that we use to say glorify God. That we would make much of him. We would spend our lives doing that. Listen, if you pray that God would make himself the desire of your heart, then you'll find yourself speaking outwardly about him and making much of him. Outwardly as well as inwardly, you'll find that happening. The more your heart and mind are focused on the Lord, the more that you will make much of him internally and externally. Pray that God, not you, would be made much of. It's hard to pray those words and not speak of his greatnesses. If you pray, God, would, would, you, would you make much of yourself in me? It's hard for him to make much of himself in you and for you to not also vocalize that outwardly. Because to keep to self anything you do gives you glory. But to give it back to him gives him the glory. To speak of his excellencies and his greatness makes much of him. So when it comes time that you want to hold things to self or you're a little bit nervous or maybe you're fearful of what might come out of you, don't give up at that moment yearning for his greatness to be made much of, but give it up to the Lord. Give him the praise and glory he deserves. Don't give up in that moment. Give it up to him. Thirdly, pray for God's will to be done more than your will. Pray for God's will to be done more than your will. Listen, if we were made to reflect the image of God, the perfect image of God that we have seen and known as Jesus Christ himself. And we know that in the darkest of days before his crucifixion, not just that he would die on the cross in the most horrible fashion you could possibly imagine, but that even above and beyond that would be the total wrath of the Father poured out on him during that time. An eternity's worth of all of the wrath that we deserve together poured out on him in those moments on the cross. And he endured all of that for us. In that, knowing that was about to happen, in the garden the night before he was betrayed, he sat there praying to the Father and said, Father, take this cup of wrath away from me, but nevertheless, not my will but yours. This is how we pray. When you pray with someone, when you pray for someone, you pray, God, heal them. Give them life. Heal them so that we might make much of you. Do it in a miraculous way so that you alone can get the glory. But Father, nevertheless, not our will but yours. Father, give me the desire of my heart. I hope it's from you. But if it's not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. If something's in conflict that or might be in conflict, give it up. Don't give up in that moment, in those hard times, in the darkness. But give it up to the Lord. Give it back to him. And here's two ways in particular I want us to pray this week together as the church. Those are your personal ways to pray. And I want you to pray these two next things as the church together. One, ask God for opportunities and boldness to share Jesus. Ask God for opportunities and boldness to share Jesus. I think the Blackabees are right. If you don't know the Blackabees, Henry Blackaby, Richard Blackaby, I think they're right when they wrote a book a long time ago. And I used to not like their stuff. I thought maybe it was just too simplified. I didn't like it, but it is so true. God is continually at work around you. He is always at work around you. So we don't need to pray for God really to give us opportunities. We need to more so to ask God to open our eyes to the opportunities that are already around us. 
The problem is not that they're not there. The problem is that we don't see them and recognize them. But when we ask God to make his will our will, he will open our eyes to see those opportunities. Pray for eyes to see the opportunities. Ask him to reveal to you the opportunities. And then ask for him to give you boldness. That's what the early church did. When they were arrested and thrown in prison, all the people at the end of those seasons, they were praying together and they prayed for more boldness to speak the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Ask for God to reveal those opportunities and to give you boldness to share. Look, you're not going to find the boldness in yourself, but as you rely on the Holy Spirit who lives within you, the powerful Holy Spirit who through whom and all things have been created, God spoke and the world came into being, right? They spoke and out of nothing, ex nihilo, the, the Latin says, out of nothing everything came. That God lives within you and me. There is boldness in that power. Not in yourself, but within you resides God who has that power. Ask for him to make it real in you. Romans eight thirty one through 33. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We have nothing to fear. And we have everything to hope in because he's proven his fulfillment of our hope already in Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified in our place. If he loves his elect, he wants to justify them. Amen? If he loves his elect, he wants to justify them. There are still people out there who are God's elect who have yet been born again. They are around us every day. So God's plan for the not yet born again or for his already born again to give them Jesus, their future justification. He's already paid the price. He's already justified in the work that he's done on the cross. But the Holy Spirit, as you speak the gospel, the good news about Jesus through them, can take their heart and turn them from death to life. The one who was lost can be found. But we're the ones supposed to go do the finding, brothers and sisters. It's our role. Let's pray that God would open our eyes to the opportunities. There are people around us every day And pray for God to give us boldness to speak of the goodness of God. When we see that Jesus is our everything, there is nothing, nothing that we won't do in order to make much of him. When we see that he's our everything, we'll see there's nothing we'd rather give than Jesus to those who need him. Because it's the best thing we could do for him. And we'll have the love that the Lord has when it's his will and not ours. Don't give up in the face of of being made fun of in the face of not having what you think you need to do it. You don't have to know all the answers. You just have to know the Savior. That's all you got to know. That's all you got to know. Don't give up. Give that worry up to the Lord. Lastly, ask God to show you where you can serve this faith family. Ask God to show you where you can serve this faith family. There are a lot of people that God, I believe, is going to bring to this place as we speak of the grace of God to them. And we need to be prepared for that. And right now, we have some holes in our service. We have some things that need to be done that aren't being done now, and we have some things that need to be prepared to be done as we await the arrival, as God gives us those opportunities, opens our eyes to them, gives us the the grace of Christ to speak to them. There's areas we need to serve one another. The Bible doesn't just say, Go out and find the lost. They say, love one another. Love one another. And one of the ways in which we do that is by serving one another. And one of the easiest ways to step into that realm 
is to do so by finding roles within our faith family in which we can serve one another. Next week, you're going to be asked to give of yourself to serve this faith family. You might already be doing it. And maybe God's going to ask you to step it up another time. Or maybe you haven't done it in a while or ever, and God's going to ask you to jump in for the first time. Or maybe God's been using you in a certain way, and he's going to lay it on your heart this week as you pray for you to move into another realm. I'm going to ask you this. Don't just look for what you want. Ask for what God wants you to do. Ask what the needs are in your faith family, and ask God to give you a heart to serve, whatever that means. Ask God to give you a heart to serve, whatever that means. Pray for God to show you how you can serve and love one another as Jesus has served and loved us. As Jesus has served and loved us. I learned a long time ago, one of my mentors told me that if you want to be a good pastor, you've got to be ready to clean the toilet. Right? That doesn't mean you've got to be the one cleaning the toilet all the time. But if somebody else isn't doing it, you jump in and do it. Now, I'm going to be asking you, God, where is there a need that needs to be filled, even if it's not the thing you want me to do all the time that I can do right now in this time? So be asking the Lord those things this week. Listen, I'm going to quote a pastor who says this about this text. He says, the test will not be whether you once walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or made a vow or were baptized. The test will be whether you continued in prayer and did not lose heart. God's elect will most surely be saved. And as verse 7 says, the sign of the elect is that they cry to God day and night. Those who endure to the end will be saved. That's Matthew 24, 13. So let us live out our election, brothers and sisters. Let us live our election by crying out to God day and night in faith, for he is faithful. Let me pair it up for you. Let let you see real quick. Look at verse 7 and on. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? That's what you do. If you're the elect, you cry to him day and night, he's saying. He says, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, so he jumps from talking about crying out, praying to the Lord continually, not, not losing heart, and crying out day and night. And he says, but will the Son of Man return and find faith on earth? He's just implicitly linking faith with our prayer life. He's saying, if you have faith, you'll be crying out to the Father. If you have faith, you will not lose heart, but you will pray ceaselessly. So brothers and sisters, let us not give up in our prayers this week, but let us give it all up to the Lord, that he might receive all the glory, he might be made much of in all things, and that we might be made to look more like Jesus for our joy for the sake of the salvation of those who are not yet born again, and for the sake of his bride, the church. Let us seek the Lord together. Let us pursue him, and let us see great things be done in our midst. Because he is the king. And he loved us so much to die for us. Not to make us his subjects, but to make us his brothers and sisters. If that's not something worth giving our lives to, I don't know what it would be. If that's not something that brings great riches to us, I don't know where we can find them. Church, let us find our hope and our riches and our glories in the one who gave his life for us so that we could be with him forever. Amen.